0: I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton.
1: I'm Erin Scala.
0: And here's our show today.
1: And today I have a fun game for you. So once in a while, a brave guest will try to pronounce something wine-related, and they'll completely mangle it. Like the other day, somebody ordered a bottle of Chablis for me. And, and of course, you know, it's Chablis and you go and get the bottle and you point it out and you say it right. And at least, uh, at least for a year when I started working in restaurants, my dad would tell all of his friends, my daughter is a Somalia. So we're all used to translating mispronounced words in this business, but there's a category of wine words that's more challenging than the rest. Well, I took to the streets and I got non-wine people to give their best shot at pronouncing some of Germany's most famous vineyards. And now for the game. This is good practice for taking orders on the floor. Can you name that German vineyard? How, uh, how often do you drink wine? As often as I can. <laughs> Have you ever drinking wine from Germany? Mm, I don't know. Well, there's amazing wines in Germany, and they usually come from single vineyards with incredible names. And I have a couple names here, and I was wondering if you could read them off for me.
2: Alright, honey, Eidelbacher Karthusenhof?
1: Very good.
2: Eidlbacher Karthusenhof? Eidelbacher Karthusenhof? No, 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 not that one. (laughs) Eidlsbacher Katarsof? Eidlsbacher... Karthauserhof, Car... Idelsbacher,
1: Eidlsbacher... Carthauserhoff? Eid... Eidlsbaker... Carthauserhof.
2: <laughs> uh, so we've got the Eidlsbacher Carthauserhoff? The Urzugu words can the uh, and It sounds like I've had that before. Erziger Wurstgarten? Erzigen Wurstgarten? Erziger Wurstganter? Erzinger? I Wurstgarten? Erziger Wurstgarten?
1: Erziger? Er Erziger? Where's the gar- garden? Erziger Wertzgarten?
2: Pierce Gold Troop Fuck <laughs> uh, the, the Peace Golden Waffen? That that sounds really familiar. I think we've got a ball of that at home. Pierce port Piercer Porter Gold goldtroop Gold 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 and gold troop for shen pierce a gold troop for shen that's a hard one by sportin gold
1: uh the next one is pierce orton it sounds dirty doesn't it golden fokker golden fukk golden gold <laughs> troop <laughs> these these are long ass words. Peace
2: Porter, Gold Troopchen, <laughs> Pea goldtupchen. Gold Gold Whyhiner <laughs> and Sorna and uh, Valinen Vel- Sorn Newer. <laughs> I couldn't tell you if I've had that one. I don't think so though. Welliner
1: Sornen Welliner, Suriner, these are long
2: words. Uh, way, way, helner, way, sonner, sonner, lemon, sonner, sonner, Uh, I guess that's sonner. Um, uh,
1: okay. So how did you do? Could you guess all of the German vineyards? Well now for an added bonus, I got some people to try and say plant nutrient in German.
2: Smittel. It's a lot of letters and it seems very difficult to pronounce. Platzenstackungs Schmidtel? Oh! ah, uh,
1: oh honey, that's a long one. Planzen Starken Smittel. The correct pronunciation is... And one last one. The longest German word I know is the word for flossing your teeth. It literally translates to teeth between to take care of. The correct pronunciation is... Let's see what we get.
2: That's one word?
1: That's
2: one word. Sand, sandwiching rum hager.
1: Sand switch rum flaggen.
2: Sand uh, Let me see. Sand switching rum uh, That's a long one.
1: That's a long word. Sand
2: switching
1: Well, thank goodness for the German language, because it exercises parts of our palate that might never get used otherwise.
0: Sustainability has never been more important, and DiEM is at the forefront of environmental responsibility. Having set a new standard in the world of closures, DiEM not only excels in the quality of its technological core closures, but also demonstrates an incredible commitment to caring for the environment. DM has taken steps to significantly reduce its carbon footprint, embracing green electricity and renewable energy in its factories. By 2025, they aim to reduce their direct emissions from energy and processing by 55%. Their sustainable closure solution, Origine, by DM, combines natural cork with a binding agent composed of 100% bio-based materials and a beeswax emulsion. A successful testament to DM's commitment to eco-friendly practices. DM has pioneered a responsible and long-term vision for cork forests, playing a crucial role in sequestering hundreds of thousands of tons of CO2 each year. Planting thousands of new cork trees, DM actively contributes to sustaining our planet's natural resources, and that is something we all benefit from every day. DM doesn't just offer technically advanced cork closures, they also lead in environmental responsibility. Learn more about DM's commitment at dm-closures.com dot com forward slash i-d-t-t that's d-i-a-m dash closures with an s dot com forward slash i-d-t-t for more information Grant Reynolds on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Very well. Thanks for having me, Levy. Nice to see you here. You too. Long time listener. First time guest. Exactly. I love so, it. So you grew up in Lake Placid. Is that the story?
3: I did. Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised uh, Lake Placid, New York. And um, yeah, I guess that was... And I moved from Lake Placid when I was 18 and uh, haven't really been back since, to tell you the truth. But,
0: what was it like yeah. there back in the day?
3: Um, Lake Placid's kind of a, a funny town it's you know the the home of the Olympics two times um, and that being said it's it really has um, it's totally a tourist town ski town um, but with you know not exactly the same excitement that you get in a place like Aspen or um, you know Tahoe any of those big places so it's still like pretty sleepy um, not exactly in its heyday any longer but needless to say it's beautiful um, full of yeah, just restaurants, hotels, and, and uh, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah.
0: Were you doing the restaurant thing back then?
3: I was, yeah. Um, it's funny. I think, like, trying to think of if there was any friend of mine who wasn't working in restaurants or working uh, with the Olympic venues to any degree, um, there really wasn't much else to do there other than maybe get in a little bit of youthful trouble and uh, and work. So... Everybody started pretty young, um, and restaurants were always looking for people to wash dishes or do any of those, uh, you know, glamorous jobs that we all kind of start with. So I think my first restaurant job was—it was when I was 13, totally illegal—working uh, like two hours in the morning at this to-go Italian place, like seeding tomatoes and peeling garlic. And then I'd run so
0: not a, much has changed really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like,
3: know, it totally comes full circle. You know? so, yeah, I know. But for a little while I like swore off tomatoes and garlic. The the you know smell of them alone made them totally nauseous. But so if you um, pass
0: out in the dining room of Charlie Bird on a busy Saturday, we'll know why.
3: Yeah, it was the Nokia. Totally <laughs> screwed me. But no, it's cool. So um yeah, you know, worked in really, really like casual kind of hometown restaurants um growing up there. And, yeah, I did that, you know, everything from, like, delivering pizzas to a busboy to being, uh, um, you know, making sandwiches, you name it, all sorts of stuff. Um, really up until when I was 16, that was pretty much that. It's like skiing, working in restaurants, and um, just being a, a kid in a small town.
0: What happened when you turned 16?
3: Um, when I turned 16, I, you know, like most people, was was super frustrated by being in a small town, life, life, <laughs> <Exactly>. parents, totally <laughs> job, um, Bush, but Bush, <laughs> for sure. Hated that guy. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I, I decided to. Um, I was funny. You know, I, I don't know. In, in our high school, we always had uh, these foreign exchange students, and they were always like super nice people. Um, usually, like kind of awkward and didn't speak much English from you know all over the place. Um, and there was a program called AFS and I, um, thought or just asked, you know, one of the foreign exchange students, like how he got to come to like Placid, this kid from Japan, super nice guy. Right. And, uh, he's like through this program AFS and I was like, Oh, maybe I'll try and do that myself. And one thing led to another. Um, I signed up, got accepted. And next thing I knew they give you a choice of a, a few different countries. And I had taken like Spanish classes in, Upstate New York, so I uh, by no means had learned much Spanish, but for whatever reason thought I was you know on the verge of being fluent, so I was like in el hombre exactly <laughs> um, I was like you know i don't I don't want to go to Spain, I don't really want to go to South America. I was still kind of a you know pretty sheltered white kid, so I was like, You're like
0: Nicaragua like, doesn't sound like much no, fun. Chance, no chance <laughs> yeah
3: yeah <laughs> um so and uh, but I didn't know I wanted. Could to, have been a uh, whole different a life, dude. I know, man. You could be heroin smuggling now. Exactly. You could, you uh, could glamorous, be like, greasy hair. You know, part of the, the part of the Zetas or something. Uh, totally. Like, you know. Totally.
0: Looking back, you, that, know, you know, gangster kingpin, uh, uh, I don't hacienda know. style, like that guy in Scarface. Yeah. You know, you I'm
3: could, I'm flattered that you think I could cut it. But <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't man. know. <laughs> could have been a whole different world. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Um, but yeah. So I. Uh, ended up getting shipped off to to Italy. And that was uh, my junior year of high school.
0: Was that like one of the situations where like the number two pencil didn't read on the scantron? It was like Spain or Italy. Exactly. And you're like, Oh, I didn't fill in the circle completely. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, I don't know went to happened. the other country. I
3: know. Italy was like I have no connection to Italy. My parent like heritage is, you know, pretty like waspy English. Blah blah blah. I think
0: you're the only and, guy who's worked in an Italian restaurant who's come on the show and, and hasn't told me the story about his grandmother making pasta oh, yeah. gravy or no his her or, <laughs> or his his grandfather making wine in a basement. Yeah, so, No, not at all. My grandma is...
3: made like hot dogs and <laughs> you know like goulash. That was more her stece. So. so
0: it must have been a big change.
3: Yeah, it was it was a huge change. Um wow. So like total shock. So I moved. Um they sent me. Well, you know, they they send you to a family, a host family, and I really had no idea where I was going. Of course, as like a sixteen-year-old kid with you know whose sole interest was girls and yeah, you know, trying to party at that point. Sure. Um, I thought I was gonna be like in the club life in Milan, like living right, it right, up. Right. When they told me I was going to Northern Italy, but um the club life uh, in Milan. love uh, yeah i don't know it wasn't that needless to say um but i was sent to late uh, night parties at the duomo son exactly <laughs> um yeah too much gq or whatever at that point but um i was sent to a, a really small town on lago maggiore in Piemonte, uh, kind of a What's now sort of a, a dead industrial town, um, right on the Swiss border. But needless to say, super beautiful. Um, not really in any, there's like a little bit of wine that, that's grown there, but a little too far north. And, um, for high quality is what you're for saying. For high quality. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's a lot of, a lot of swell, But needless to say, um, beautiful, had a great time, was thrown right into a high school there, um, having not like, no, you know, two more than two words of Italian and um yeah, that was it. It's was like full immersion. It was crazy. Where those experience. two words?
0: Mario batali Yes.
3: <laughs> You're
0: like I can speak Italian <laughs> totally. Malta I love Mario. this guy
3: <laughs> with my orange crocs. I came over. Yeah, it's totally the American fashion. Um but yeah, it was fun. It was, it How was long a were you really there? good experience. I was there for 10 months, a so full school year. It was
0: pretty long time.
3: It was a really long time. And the first two months it was like a little you know i felt like a mute it's like you nobody it was it was just remote enough where um you know people didn't speak much english at all which i was surprised by in my sort of ignorance and arrogance for that matter but um so yeah it was a struggle the first couple of months just like being in uh, a high school where you're just people are yammering on about stuff that one, I've never heard of. And two, it's in a totally different language. So, um, I figured out quick, like the language Needless to say, you kind of have to, it's like sink or swim. And, um, then from there, it was just like, you know, for sure. One of the, the great experiences, whether I knew it then or not, that has really, uh, helped me with my life. So was it, it was like super
0: fun. a normal high school or
3: no, it was, uh, it's funny. So in Europe, um, you have to decide really what your, your career path is going to be um, after what the equivalent of our like middle school is. So um, in Italy they have in high school, they'll split it up whether you're in like um, art school or, I mean, even, you know, culinary hospitality school um, or engineering, which was the one that they put me in um, for whatever reason. I have no idea because I, I, had pretty much you know standard grades across the board and expressed no interest in um, any particular subject. But that's you know where they threw me, probably where there was space. Um, and so I was like, in yeah, taking like trigonometry and physics and you know uh, classes that I still don't even know, like surveying and all sorts of crazy stuff um, in Italian. So needless to say, I didn't learn a single thing. As far as academics go, other than the language.
0: But when yeah. you look at the slope of Latash, you're like, you know, I think I can measure yeah, that pretty well. Totally.
3: I see those guys out there with the the, the instruments. I'm like, that guy's he <laughs> no know idea what he's doing. What he's doing. Yeah, no I got you covered in the orange, Let me handle this orange for vest. You. Exactly. Step aside, buddy. Your line is crooked. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was cool. It was super fun. But I lived with a, a really generous family. And um, the wife was a super. Great, great cook, um, just cooking, you know, classic Italian stuff. Um, you'd get to like, school would cut short at, I think it was 12.30 um, every day, but you went to school six days a week. You'd go home, have lunch, um, pass out, wake up, and then kind of, I don't know, fool around for a little bit and have dinner and call it a day. So it was pretty routine. I packed on a few pounds, thanks to all that pasta, and. Uh, that was that yeah it was it was was where you were like
0: having trouble translating like i need the tailor (laughs) exactly to to take these pants (laughs) out uh, yeah
3: thankfully i was probably only wearing sweatpants at that point right right well it was was cool back then (laughs) yeah exactly
0: so so then uh, uh, you move uh back to the states yeah and and when and what goes down
3: um i had one more year of of high school to finish up um in like placid and uh yeah, so my, my senior year of high school and looking at colleges and everything. And um, I'd grown up being a sort of competitive skier and thought that that was going to be the route that I would pursue uh, more than anything. So I applied to one college and it was the University of Colorado in Boulder. Is and there a
0: secret society of so many who really like to ski in New York?
3: <laughs> there like, is, man. There's like... some. Dustin,
0: great. Liz Ouellette. totally the, the yeah. Bobby Stuckey, the Bobby Stuckey, uh, you know, all influence.
3: Great yeah, it's it's funny. I don't know. I think like there's a lot of great sommeliers in in Aspen and um, in Colorado for that matter. And I don't know. Yeah. Part of
0: the reason they end up there is because they had totally. an interest. In skiing. It's a great
3: lifestyle. You know, it's a really great lifestyle. Um, it's fun to ski with those guys. The only I,
0: hard part is sabering while you're skiing down a slope. Exactly.
3: Yeah, and the long lunch break where you're then too drunk to to ski home but um, it was fun this past year I got to go skiing with a, a bunch of those guys for the uh, La Polée out in Aspen that, that they do every year and you're like skiing with Christophe Rumier and Jean-Pierre Desmet and and all those guys like uh, it was super cool Aspen was like full of sommeliers and winemakers and
0: um, where they like we used to be able to do this in Chablis before global warming exactly <laughs> <You know. laughs>
3: it's great it's funny um, yeah but so
0: eventually it, you did hook up with Bobby out in Colorado how did that kind of happen
3: yeah um, so I, I'd like moved out there and um, needed to work you know needs to say the the skiing thing competitively I um, I gave up on it or, or it gave up on me either way and um, so I yeah looked to restaurants um, and started working in a restaurant out there that was you know really well regarded and um, as far as Boulder goes, a great spot still today called The Kitchen. Um, just bussing tables and, you know, eventually became a, a bartender, barista, that whole uh, deal there for, for a couple of years. Um, and Did
0: that, Does that equal lunchtime bartender? Is that what that means? It does,
3: man. The barista bartender, oh bartender uh, double shift? I'm telling you, like being in college and having to work Saturday, Sunday brunch, um, 8 a.m., juicing making like 300 cappuccinos that no i don't asking. i don't envy that i can make a great cappuccino now i'll pat myself on the back for that but that really sucks. people like,
0: weren't coming in
3: asking you for Krug. no no none of that people are angry at brunch yeah I mean, yeah, no, yeah yeah for the most part especially right. college kids but then they lighten up a little bit later on in the day yeah it takes so, an hour yeah and some eggs for and sure. some grease <laughs> exactly <laughs> But uh, I was sympathetic, so it was usually in their same position. But um, yeah, so I was there and had been at that restaurant for a few years. And they had a really great education program. And um, I was still underage at, at that point. and And um, they, I don't know if they knew that or Let's if they just they let didn't. it. Yeah, they, <laughs> like... they definitely didn't know that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I got to, you know, go to like what was standard but at that point for me um something really interesting like both beer and wine education classes um and it kind of just sparked my interest um as a whole and you know like anyone I think I totally resented restaurants and you know the reason I went to college was probably to do anything but work in a restaurant and and, you know I'm sure I've, I've said this in public, but like totally had sworn it off, you know, for, and was really looking to get out of it. But um, the whole wine thing really, like, I don't know, it connected a lot of different parts of my life and I had a general interest in it. So um, yeah, it really kind of took off at that restaurant. And um, they said that while I had met um, Bobby and his wife, Annette, they would come in for brunch all the they time. would come in for brunch. They would come in for brunch yeah. that's like their routine. Frosk is closed on Sundays and um, those two work incredibly hard so that was like their thing and it was a great brunch. And uh, there was a great young bartender there making cappuccinos. Yeah,
0: they're like, these are some nice cappuccinos. (laughs)
3: Um, So I had met him and had heard about him and and all of his allure and and great character and had heard about Frosca and um, knew about it and kind of like talked to him a little bit. Um, And I was thinking of making sort of the next step, you know, just had been at that restaurant for a little while and in life in general was, you know, had finished my first couple of years of college just taking like any and every course of liberal arts and really had no particular uh, major or focus at that point um and yeah bobby i think it was bobby who who mentioned that they were doing the intro exam for the quartermaster It's up in aspen and it was like 2 weeks after i had turned 21 and the kitchen um they like paid for half of it and, uh, if you passed, and so I big won- incentive
0: to pass. I know,
3: right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Things <it's> expensive, man. <laughs> a couple hundred bucks back then, but um, they yeah. So I, I went up to Aspen, and and that was um, I had met Bobby a little bit, and took the intro exam. Hundred percent pass rate that time, so it was uh, super positive. But that's where I, I really like met more than anything. You know, I learned a little bit uh, more about wine over those couple of days but met people like uh, Richard Betts and Jay Fletcher and um, and Bobby for that manner and and really saw it like a different side of the restaurant industry something that was you know smart and professional and that looked like it could prove itself um, in the long term so it was really encouraging and I came back to Boulder, uh, called up Bobby and and just asked if I could, you know, like stage at at Frosco. So he said for sure, and um, that was kind of my intro into Frosco, Was Friday nights I would I would have uh, sheepishly stand at the wine station and they'd hand me bottles of wine to open and then eventually decant. And uh, one thing led to another. I got to um, kind of start working the floor with those guys, and then. Um, I asked for a, a full-time job at, at Frosca and um, that's where that led so yeah, it was just kind of a sort of a seamless transition um, with the exception that when I was a stage, I was like you know all in the wine department, um, obviously unpaid, but then when I took the full-time job you um, you start from the from the ground up there, really no matter what, um, which I think is you know, was a, a positive thing for me at that point. Because um, I never worked as an expo or a back waiter or a waiter in that kind of fine dining environment. Which, looking back, like you know, totally super helpful in, in any restaurant environment to have the 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 basis of that. So um, my timing was great. Just you know, as a expo, and then quickly moved up to being a bartender was the first thing. Having that uh, little bit of experience at the kitchen, and then. Um, as a bartender, I would do like a couple of shifts um, on the weekends. It was like Friday, Saturday as what the position was called like a wine back. So sort of like a assistant sommelier, whatever um, that be. But I would help out uh, Matthew Mather, the, the wine director there, uh, a guy named Ben Richardson and um, and Bobby on the floor. And uh, thanks to those guys, they totally just took me under their wing. And um, yeah, it was like boot camp for a sommelier. So.
0: How would you yeah. sum up Fresca as a restaurant if no one had been there before, or if someone that you were talking to had been there before?
3: Yeah, Fresca is a, a really a special place considering where where it is. Um, you have a lot of really really talented people um, who maybe like don't want to live in a big city and still want to work in an environment who that like pushes you every day and challenges you. Um, so, Fresca. Is, it's an Italian restaurant, of course, um, based on Friuli, so northeastern Italy. And it's 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 beyond casual at this point, beyond uh, a neighborhood restaurant. Um, but it's not totally fine dining. So it's like a four-course briefie menu with a huge focus on wine. And um, yeah, it's kind of, a, I don't know of any like big name comparisons to it but um for where it's at they like push the envelope every day and, and work super hard um both in the kitchen and in the front of the house and you're in boulder colorado which is you know they're like it's kind of an uphill battle for a lot of people out there because sort of the the culture And i mean it's changed a lot over the last few years but it was like really the like steakhouse midwest kind of culture and uh here you put this like kind of like esoteric Italian region in, you know, in the middle of Colorado and you're serving Italian white wines exclusively by the glass and Italian red wines exclusively by the glass. Um, People like kind of turn their heads, but um, a little bit of like, yeah, coaching and um, encouragement to the guests. And uh, yeah, they created a really, uh, really special place. It's a fun place. How many times did you misspell Frulli in your early career? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking like fresca, like having learned Italian when I was abroad. I was like, those guys totally misspelled fresca, like That's the classic. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, like, shit. Bobby,
0: let's have a little talk.
3: Uh, yeah, I was like, Bobby, I gotta tell you something, man. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I know Italian. I know and... Italian,
3: and I know I'm not the first. People have like said that multiple times. So, you know, they walk in, they're like. These guys, like, try to be Italian and they they can't even spell Fresca right. you are like, no, it's actually... It is a word, Fresca. They're like, um, is
0: this that place by Soto? Exactly. Scotters, Fresco by Scotto, sorry.
3: <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was great. And, you know, I really... The, the cool thing about, about that uh, restaurant was you had um, some really, like, super talented people who... Um, you know Bobby and, and Matthew for sure who uh, had worked in you know some of the greatest restaurants around the country um, and for me it wasn't you know it's not the high stress environment which I think a lot of sommeliers and wine directors might have in these big cities um, so it was, I was like, it's Colorado it was it was much so much more low key which which for me somebody like trying to learn was um, made everything super accessible. You know, we had days off, we had, you know, didn't have to show up to work, you know, until four o'clock for that manner. And, um, so it made like learning and made studying and made that, um, really, really accessible. And I think that's one of the reasons you, you see a lot of, um, great sommeliers come out of Frosca and a lot of people pass the the master sommelier exam, um, in Colorado for that manner, because you have, a lot of really smart, really motivated people who, um, you know, can kind of like take the time to, to study and, um, learn about wine and and do all those things without the pressure of living in a big city, the sheer,
0: the sheer business of the big city.
3: For sure. But, um, so eventually
0: you kind of moved to a, a different venue, which was interesting.
3: Yeah. So I decided after I graduated, um, And needless to say, it took me a long time to to get through college um, because at Frosca, I had really decided that I wanted to pursue wine and pursue restaurants. So I started going to to school part-time, would take morning classes and then work at night. And um, it was a demanding job. I should never discredit that. But um, I started to travel a lot. And, you know, needless to say, it took me... the a couple of extra years to get through school. So um, at that point, I was ready to move on from from Boulder and um, had a great conversation with with Bobby at that point. And uh, he encouraged me to to go to Europe first and try and work harvest somewhere and maybe try and work in a restaurant in Europe. And then from there, kind of go to New York or go to San Francisco um, to... Yeah, to you know, work at you know, in a different environment. Um, so I did that in August of 2012. I left uh, Frosca and I went to uh, Burgundy. So the harvest of uh, 2012, the lovely ses um, family at Domaine Dujac. They Domaine Dujac in, in, in Burgundy. Domaine Dujac, yeah, exactly in Moissin Denis. Um and I was a, a harvest intern there, which entailed me picking for I think it was like five or six days, um, which is totally a grind and you know one of the more challenging things as far as uh, work goes that I've done um, simply because I've never done any sort of like farm work or manual labor for that matter kind of a, a softie on that end but um it was a great experience. Super cool to see the vineyards like that up close and personal and um just the whole culture of pickers and um and everything. But um above that, the the great thing about that experience was, you know, beyond like learning a little bit about the winemaking process and getting your hands dirty and, and all that, which was incredible, but um to have the I think we were there for at least four weeks um, and the Sess family was super, super generous um, with their wine cellar and just with us as a whole. So we stayed right at the Domain. Um, there was about four of us and, you know, with their larger family. So usually like 10 people around the table every night um, with a great chef It's chef. Um, Gentleman who writes for Fine Wine Magazine, the the food editor, um, came down and, and cooked dinner for us every night. Cooked lunch for us every day, for that matter. Um, and we would get to drink, you know, out of that incredible, incredible cellar that they have. So, super, super great opportunity for uh, for myself and and really one of the um, you know great opportunity for anybody if, if you ever ever have the 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 chance to drink wines of you know, that age and of that sort of allure um that you want know are real have been stored well and with someone like Jeremy and his father Jacques and um, his brother Alec and Roz who just have so much information, not only on Burgundy, but the Rhone and Bordeaux and Germany and, you know, all over you and know, every night we were we we're drinking really, really great stuff. Um and yeah, that was incredible. So um that was you know about four weeks and um probably next to the 10 months uh I spent in Italy it was the longest time I had had lived in Europe I did a couple of like short stints here and there but um that was yeah man um really just an, an incredible experience to be with all those people um and from from there I went to uh, Noma in Copenhagen where I had really signed up for uh, a stage and unpaid uh, position again um, to work for two months in the the front of house um, at Noma during the Scandinavian winter. Little did I know that was dark and cold and kind of the most depressing time of year to be there. But they didn't
0: put that in the brochure. No,
3: no. They, they didn't tell me that when I requested post-service. But, um, yeah, that was... Wow, what an experience. So um, I went up to Noma uh, towards like the middle of October and um, pretty much just hit the ground running. Rented a really, <laughs> I rented a room on, on Airbnb in Copenhagen and um, it was in, well, I mean, I had no idea. I'd never been to Copenhagen before. I was in kind of like, kind of a CD part of the city um you know nothing like to ever be afraid of but certainly not luxurious um and i rented it with this old english couple and the guy had been like a a boxer back in his day and he's now god i don't know how old but had taken a few blows to the head and she was this like totally eccentric out there like hoarder of a woman and i had this like tiny little bed um and would go to work at what was then you know called the best restaurant in the world every day. Just like the degree of you know divergence uh, yeah, between those two worlds was incredible. Um,
0: it's like Oliver Twist, totally it's like totally. the end of Great Expectations <laughs> exactly. on the other side. Yeah. Exactly.
3: Um, but yeah, you're you're working so hard that you know you don't really need anything more than. Uh, a bed and a place to crash exactly (laughs) i was lucky enough to have that window shades that can (laughs) be pulled down (laughs) totally um so yeah that that was um cool i was in i was in copenhagen for just over two months uh right up until they they took their christmas break
0: what was the noma scene like
3: noma noma is is incredible you know um I think the great you know one of the reasons I I decided I wanted to go to Noma was uh one cuz I I thought I'd want to work there and and live in Europe um potentially and two obviously to to just have that experience but um Noma has um a wine list that I had like looked at and just looking at wine lists you know as we all do um, and there was like so many producers that I had either never heard of, never, um, had access to, or, um, you know, had read about and heard sort of like mysterious things about. Um, and so I was like, wow, if I could, you know, somehow get my hands into that scene, it'd be great to learn about, um, you know, the controversial natural wine. Um, was in Colorado. Like, I think, Frosca does an incredible job of bringing in wines. You know, we get to travel. I traveled with with Bobby and Lachlan to uh, Friuli a handful of times to like find new producers and and try and get them imported and and do that. But I mean, they they've done an incredible job doing that for as far as Italy goes. Um, but it's you know Colorado and, and New York and San Francisco really scoop up like a lot of those tiny allocations of wine and. Um, there's, you know, I got to drink a lot, a lot of great stuff at, at Frosca, um, especially considering, you know, my age and where we were at, incredible wines. But, you know, it was like a huge occasion to to get to try even Delvisat and Ravano and that sort of thing. We just, you just couldn't get it. Is that true? Know? Yeah, totally. Um, it's crazy being here in New York you know, those wines were like that, every day, you're like, Oh look, <laughs> every day. It's little so, Dovey, little Ravi. Exactly. Casually in wine stores. And and you just didn't have that. Um, so yeah, that was, you know, again, one of the reasons why I really wanted to go to Dushak was um my, uh, Eric Railsback had, had told me sort of and legendary stories of the wines that he got to drink. And I knew that, I had to
0: jeremy's like wouldn't it be nice to try some barolo because he doesn't try that much anymore. exactly like, no
3: bro i know I like, love, Where's no the at? <laughs> exactly yeah we actually we did a, a fun dinner at his his house one night where we drank some italian wine and he's Jeremy, into it he, he goes super into it yeah. super into it super into Montalcino. of course he like goes you know full force the guy like yeah he's incredibly smart um oxford grad so it's like He's really into it, and he knows his stuff and and travels there now and, and everything so um, I did drink some really great Italian wine at dujac, but um, I knew I needed to drink some burgundy and drink those things in, in order to learn and kind of catch up but um, and that was sort of my same same philosophy as as to why I'd want to to go to Noma um, and what was the know, wine program like wine program at NoMA well first you know I, I was a, a stage there so i you know showed up and sort of like really enthusiastically and um, no was a really positive restaurant the people who work there are, it's like you know young people super motivated that was like one of the the great things i learned about uh, it was just and and was it was super encouraging is that they they've created this this culture of young people and and maybe you know people think it's like militant kind of brainwashed whatever but you have these kids who are working literally working 18 hours a day some of the guys in the kitchen the front of the house didn't work that much but you work really hard um really really hard in a super demanding environment but it's really positive and you know everybody's so excited to be there so i was encouraging to see that you know much enthusiasm over over a restaurant but um I showed up and i definitely was not like pulling corks you know day one at all um i was like polishing silverware and and that kind of thing but um you know i think i have some some strong restaurant experience, especially coming out of Frasca. and really? I know.
0: You got any garlic I could peel back Exactly. There? I've been doing it since I was thirteen. Uh, no.
3: <laughs> it's like too bad they don't use tomatoes. <laughs> right, right, right. Some cans yeah. of tomatoes, but um, they're like, what are these for? An object, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I did like pick herbs and grass and all that stuff that you hear about. But that's a whole different story. Um, I. Yeah, so, but no, you know, I was in the front of the house and started running food and kind of uh, made friends with the sommeliers there and with um, with everybody just like going out and um, I guess I kind of, however you, you know, as a sommelier, prove yourself and, um, you know, just like having a good time and, and drinking fun wine. There's a uh, great wine bar there called Stradentin which I'd go to by myself and Crush a bottle of wine as, as often as possible, and you just get to know people that way. So, um, after a little while, they yeah became like super open to me being more involved with with wine at the restaurant. Whether it was just like pouring wine pairings and and doing that sort of thing with wines that I ultimately had like very little experience with, um, and that's because the wine program there, which is run by um, a gentleman named Mas. And uh, a guy named John, two great young somalias who are super motivated um, is has a focus on um natural wine let's say um, and has a focus on you know smaller producers from lesser known regions and incredibly um you know wines that I think are are can be very controversial for a lot of people um and Things like, you know, Metros, which we all know and, and and love, but you don't see in the U.S. anymore. And then a handful of, of natural producers not using sulfur and biodynamic and and all of those, um, you know, sound bites for, for what it is. But, um, yeah, the wine program there, I think, you know, whether or not I agree with all of those wines um, or, you know, enjoy them or uh, do I think a lot of them may have had, you know, what somebody would call a, a flaw, like oxidation and those sort of things, is that it really made, does make sense for um, the food and for, for that environment. You know, those wines um, are, yeah, they're challenging if you're, if you're used to a particular type of wine. And yeah, there are some wines, which I think were, were you know, totally flawed that were poured were in the, the wine pairing menu. Um, But you can't discredit, you know, what somebody's focus is and um, whether or not. But so they would, um, it would be probably like 95% of the wine service there was a tasting menu. Um, You have 40 guests for two services a day. So lunch and dinner. Um, everybody does the equivalent of like 20 courses, you know, no options. You sit down and, and go. Um, And it's a, it's a diner that at this point isn't, you know, necessarily like wine focused, but more focused on um, just the restaurant of, of the overall experience. And so wine pairings, I think really made sense and were encouraged by, by them to do. So, um, you know, they, they, that being said, the the role of a sommelier there was more just to like be kind of a captain and make sure, and the, wine yeah, the, make sure the wine was poured. Yeah, make sure the wine was poured. But explain servers, it. exactly, servers would um, pour wine too. And so I got to you know as I was like my first couple of weeks just running food, kind of. But you weren't like flipping in.
0: through the list with customers being like, no. maybe you could have this, maybe you could have that, maybe no, you could no. have this because the, exactly. it was a set thing.
3: Yeah, it was a set thing, and only on a couple of occasions would did I like flip through. That that was really like, so you're like what is this schools? thing? <laughs> exactly. Oh right, I haven't seen <laughs> a this wine book list. for a while. I don't know you would. It would. Yeah, there'd be nights where nobody would ever look at a wine list. Um, and yeah, so I was there doing that, that whole thing um, at Noma, more for you know the experience of of working in in that environment um, and to like definitely try and learn about wines that i never had and um you know had heard of like many different opinions and try and formulate my own opinion on on natural wine and on you know just that whole culture right now which is going on in in europe and you know now it's like all over new york and i'm sure it's probably been in new york longer than it's been um you know in paris or in, in those places but it was really really prominent in copenhagen the whole city is flooded with um for better or worse you know Depending on your own opinion, is flooded with um, natural wine. I mean, anywhere you go now, uh, they kind of wisp away a lot of really great wines in lieu of you know these other producers. Um, but more than anything, Noma was an experience in working in that environment as um, you know somebody in the front of the house. So I was there for two months and uh ran food and eventually they kind of let me uh run a section as a a waiter and um, i did that really for like the last few weeks which i was there and um that was up until december um i got offered a job at noma to come back full time um and i very very much thought about taking that job um but knew i had to come back home and sort out a visa and um you know pay off a credit card and try yeah. and make some money world before. Stuff. yeah real world stuff um god i was so broke in copenhagen but then uh yeah so i, I came back in um december so right around christmas time uh, and um, i grew up having grown up in lake placid i, I came back to the east coast and um figured that I would move to New York, um, was what was maybe only going to be a couple of months, um, or what was maybe going to be, um, full time. So my family has an apartment here. So it was a really, really, you know, fortunate and easy transition for me to be able to move to New York, um, without any money and try and look for a job to, to, um, yeah, to make some scratch and, Maybe move to Scandinavia and just ultimately to make the decision of what I was going to do next. Um, and what Marshall's. did that turn out to be? Man, New York smacked me in the face. I think I got here on December 30th. Um, I was only like blasted for a couple of days and then came down um, as I knew I had to, to work and try and look for a job super quick. And my first night, um I I met a gentleman in um in Burgundy that worked harvest with me, a guy named Max Kogad. Oh sure, yeah. Max. Yeah. Um who yeah, is now a great friend of mine and um was at that point really the only person that I knew in New York. So like first night he had just moved to New York too and just started working at Crush. And um my first night we went to is it JG Mellon on the Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not far from here, Not actually. Not far, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, he's like, let's go to the spot, like great burgers. It's funny funny, you know?
0: I went there a few times when I first moved to New York too. <laughs> yeah, it must be like a rite of passage or something. Exactly.
3: Um, so we like went there and uh, I had a burger. This, was, this is my first night in New York. And then you're like, oh shit, I have to pay in cash. <laughs> exactly. Did that, did that happen? That totally happened. <laughs> I was like on the iPhone making a, a, you know, a transfer from a credit card. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, this is, uh, no more credit card. But, um, that was my first night, right? And I just got to New York and all my stuff was in bags and um, in college I studied, um, I studied like film and photography and that sort of thing. So I had um, a good amount of of camera gear that I used to travel with all the time, and I was at my parents' um, apartment where I was staying, and uh, where I ended up living for a few months. And uh, it's on 81st and Columbus, right? So like a nice yeah neighborhood. A pretty nice neighborhood. So yeah, it's a yeah. pretty nice neighborhood. And night one in New York, after you know like being here and thinking life's like pretty good. Yeah. Um, I walk home to uh, an apartment which I'd been broken into Wow dude and literally my first night and uh, whether it was me like just spacing out and not locking the door but um, or not but I think they you know however they did it um, broke into the house, stole all my computer gear, stole all my camera gear um, and s- even stole the one suit that I had brought down from from out state for uh, a few interviews that I had over the next couple of days. And uh, that was my welcome to New York, a big slap in the face. Um, and then the next day, I need to say, I, like, called the cops, was up all night with the police. Um, the next day I had uh, a meeting with uh, Robert, Robert Boer, um, who I had met in Burgundy and had met in, at Frasca, Fros- at just like casually at, at a couple of dinners here and there. Um, but who I reached out to just to, you know, see if he had new, known of any opportunities in New York and that sort of thing. Were
0: you wearing your boxer shorts in the interview? <laughs> just about, man. <laughs> Sorry about the wife, Peter, man. <laughs> just
3: about. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I was definitely like glossy eyed and, and not feeling super hot when... Uh, did you call him <laughs> Sipowitz
0: a couple times by mistake? You're like, Sergeant Sipowitz. I mean, I mean, Robert. Uh, exactly. Just trying to fill out the form here. <laughs>
3: no, it was funny. So I, yeah, I met him, and um, that night I, I was like, told him, "I was like, hey man, I just want to let you know, and I look a little beat up right now because, frankly." I I just got my ass kicked by uh, by, by New York. By last New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a good welcome, but it was funny. The next that that same night, he's like, you know what? He's like, I'll I'll, I'll show you a, a different side of New York tonight. And it was New Year's Eve, and um, he invited me to go to the the Jay Z concert. And you know, what was only 24 hours later, I was like backstage with a dirty sweater and bad shoes, with you know Robert and Daniel Hume and a bunch of, like, I was like, this is, New York is a crazy, crazy place. You, know, you can like get broken into. And then the next night it's like, for whatever reason, I, you know, was yeah living a, a life that I'm super fortunate and only ever, ever dreamed of, or not living, But you know, being exposed to. Um, and just having a great time, like having what was equivalently of like the worst night to, you know, one of the great nights that of, of my life. Um, and that juxtaposition was just, totally bizarre but you're like yeah. i
0: got 99 problems in this concert ain't one <laughs> exactly
3: <laughs> well put um so yeah that was that was my first couple of days in new york and uh as a side note it's only been on the up since
0: what do you think about New York as a as a you know a wine place? Like you know, oh, having man. traveled around a little bit, you know, you come, you take a look. I always find that people's impressions when they first move are always really distinct.
3: Whereas yeah. later, you're like, I don't
0: know. I mean, it's complex. There's this, there's that. But when you first move, you have like
3: opinions. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I had I had expectations, you yeah. know, and and you hear about people and just like telling them, yeah, I might move to New York. Like, you know, I mean, like, New York's crazy. You can the stuff you'll get to drink in New York and. The people there and um it's like i'd I'd only heard positive things you know of course you hear it's like cutthroat and you're gonna work hard and all that stuff but um i had like only heard positive things and it showed me um all of that you know like what the wines I've, i've been exposed to both at like the highest end level um with very generous collectors and that sort of thing to stuff that, you know, we were referencing earlier stuff that like, you know, isn't necessarily an expensive one, but is incredibly rare and sought after. And um, to be able to find that in stores like Crush or Chamber Street and that kind of thing is just like incredible. You know, um, I think the wine scene in New York is incredible I you know, there's I have no complaints and also the people who work in it it's like i gotten to meet a couple of sommeliers um being at Frosco Bobby's like you know friends with everybody and so a lot of those people would roll through and um but you know it's like I think yeah week one uh being able to go up to Barbalud and hang out with Michael and like have those crazy wines by the glass that he pours all the time and, and that sort of thing it's like Um, priceless and I think anybody here should take advantage of all that all that sort of stuff and I still think New York is you know yeah I've been here for what six or seven months now and um, every day I get to try another wine that I may have never gotten to try had I not been in New York it's kind of the way I look at it I think yeah so as a whole the restaurant industry in New York is super positive and it's full of a lot of fun colorful people across the board
0: what's the Charlie Bird thing like
3: Charlie Bird um man Charlie Bird's a blast it's been I don't know as we're talking now uh I guess this is like week eight so kind of our our second month um I yeah I got you know to to backtrack a little bit um I got hired by Robert really like towards you know mid-January that sort of thing um with the scope of, of working at Charlie Bird. I um, had a couple of different interviews and a couple of other things that, that happened that really um, made me decide I wanted to be in New York. But more than anything, I decided to be in New York to, to work at Charlie Bird um, and to work with Robert and, and Ryan, who's the chef there, Ryan Hardy, just an incredible guy and super talented and super positive, really nice guy. Um, so Charlie Bird, Charlie Bird started in January, I guess, and I would go to like design meetings and uh, we worked a few private events and did that sort of thing. But needless to say, I was kind of living a, a really charmed and, uh, you know, super just, just fun life, thanks to the generosity of, of more than anyone Robert um, over the last few months. He totally like took me under his wing and showed me a lot of great things about New York um, before the the restaurant opened. So um, Charlie Bird has been now, um, yeah, it's a, a whole experience. But as a restaurant, we've been open for uh, eight weeks and um, it's a blast. It's super fun. So it's totally a different environment than, than what I've, I've worked in, in, at least in the past, going from Frasca and then to Noma and... Um, restaurants that are, you know, like tasting menus and um, ultimately like full of all the mechanics of service and pretty formal in their scope. Um, Charlie Bird is so much more casual than I think most people would would ever expect it to be. Um, having you know, if they know Robert's experience and and Ryan's experience, who was at the Little Nell and running that uh, program there for a long time, so. Um, it is, yeah, so we're on 6th Ave in and, and Houston, um, on King Street is our address, but the entrance on 6th Ave there, uh, and this beautiful old space in New York with kind of a, like polished industrial feel to it, exposed brick and all that stuff, but, um, really, really well designed. I think the space is beautiful, um, but it's not fancy by any means, um. And the food, Ryan's food, is is totally Italian inspired. The guy knows more about Italian food than I ever thought he would. Um, just he's super humble and, you know, having eaten at the Little Nell while he was there, never thought of him as like an Italian chef by any means. Um, and no, he's not, you know, calling himself a, an Italian chef, but there's a lot of influence in, in the food as far as that goes. So. Um, meaning that he uses a lot of, it's like not a lot of butter, a lot of garlic and chili flake, a little bit of heat, fresh pasta and Rossi food and roasted meats and just the simplicity and, um, authenticity of, of Italian food as a whole. So just no makeup and kind of rustic and, uh, in its presentation to a certain degree, um, in today's world, I guess you could say, but, um, yeah, it's fun. So the wine program there was um, totally contrived by by Robert and uh, my bit of influence. We, um, you know, having worked with a, a pretty massive wine list at, at Frasca, and you know, of course, Robert's um, resume entails you know, Crew and Danielle and and all of those incredible wine programs. Um, kind of wanted to to bring it back to. Um, A smaller wine list that's really concise and well edited and full of um, a lot of gems that aren't necessarily expensive but that are you know maybe have some age on them or drinking well and that you just wouldn't always see in um, that kind of environment so uh, more than anything it's just to create uh, a fun atmosphere where you can drink something great and have a couple of courses at your discretion, what you'd like to eat, and listen to hip-hop and, um, you know, trust that the food is is good and the service is um, dialed and, and, you know, have a great bottle of wine. So, um, that's that. And hopefully, you know, every day, it's crazy. The opening a restaurant, the people, like, talk about how hard it is and, you know, the, I was like, yeah, come on. It's like, it's not gonna be that hard. Like, sure, I'll be working a lot. Like, that's cool. But it is like, it is as hard as anybody talks about. Um, but it's also one of the most like exciting things to be a part of something from the start. You know. But it's all the the little stuff that that bogs you down. Like you know, things like having a dishwasher break, or you know, having your refrigeration show up late, and know, all these little things that like. When you walk into a restaurant that's already gone through all of that and has infrastructure and has all of that it's like makes your life so much easier but um there's so much like positive things about being in a restaurant when it's young and people are so excited to be there and check out what you're doing and kind of give you a chance to, to show them what you got um and yeah i think people have had a you know genuinely good time at charlie bird i hope so at least and um, yeah, it's been fun. It's been really fun.
0: Speaking of young, how old are you? I am 25. I turned 25 in May. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Frasca, Noma, thanks. Charlie yeah. Bird at 25.
3: Yeah, I don't know. It feels good. I got nothing but. Uh, yeah, I think you know, just for whatever reason, been really fortunate to have uh, a lot of great people like kind of take me under their wing. And man, I have so much to learn. Like the people that I'm surrounded by are always there, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I feel like I'm in a, a good fun place and, um, yeah. Grant Reynolds, thank you for being on show today. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon.
0: All drink to that is hosted and produced by myself, Levi Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett.